Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Please do so. I know you'll, you'll be blessed by, by going and being a part, amen, of that as well. If you'll turn with me tonight to 2 Corinthians 5. I did not finish last week. Did not finish last week. 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm going to read verses 17 uh, through 21 as I did last week for a springboard. I will review very briefly a little bit of what we went over last week and then dig on a little further because I want to finish this this week. Amen. In the house of the Lord. Again, this is our series on our mission statement. Uh, so far, we've covered the first week to love as God loves, which is the first phrase, showing compassion to every soul. We did that the second week and last week. And this week, we are considering the phrase, thus winning those souls. And so we're going to continue with that tonight, thus winning those souls. 2 Corinthians 5. And verse number 17 starting, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, the Apostle Paul says. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Again, the phrase continuing for, for, for consideration here tonight, last week and this week as well, is thus winning those souls. Let's ask God to help us this evening. Father, I come to you tonight. God, I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for your spirit. I'm thankful, Lord, for your aid and your help. God, in our everyday walks, Lord Jesus, with you, I pray, God, that you would anoint us here this evening. God, our minds and our lips to what the spirit, God, would desire to say in this house. God, will thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you do and accomplish in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Just as a little point of review tonight, last week we discussed how none of us could possibly even be solely responsible uh, for the salvation of a soul, but nor are we exempt from having an integral part in bringing about that very thing. We talked about how one watered, one planted Apollos watered, and the Bible says that God gives the increase. But God will only give increase to something to begin with. An increase alludes to the idea that there's something to build upon or that there is something to add to. And so God gives increase to the planting and the watering that we're an integral part of. We discussed how it's very possible that you might plant and you might water and you would have no harvest. That happens sometimes. But we also talked about how you can be guaranteed that if you never plant and you never water it, you'll never have increase for sure. Because you cannot increase upon something that is, not, that is not there. We also spoke about how the Bible talked to us that if we would sow uh, sparingly, that we would reap sparingly. And that if we would sow bountifully, then we would reap 
bountifully, that our chances are greater whenever we uh, invest more, if you will, in the soil. And so whenever we begin to read our little, our, our FAC statement, thus winning those souls, we also learn that that word thus meant in a way just indicated. The way that we win souls is in a way that was just ind indicated, which was loving as God loved and showing compassion to every soul. And then we looked at our scripture setting, how in this scripture setting there is a lot uh, being based upon God reconciling or, if you will, uh, 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 accounting the world unto himself through the man, Christ Jesus, and we see a lot of that and how he imputed not our sins and transgressions to us, but there was a trade-off that he imputed really to us his righteousness and he took upon himself our sin. And so he was reconciling people through Christ Jesus to himself. And so we see a, a major portion of this reconciliation. Now we are the means by which the world is reconciled, not to ourselves, but unto himself. God and he begins to speak to us as being ambassadors or we are representatives in this earth uh, whereby we are people and God through us because we have his spirit in us God through us are beseeching or summoning people who are lost and unsaved to himself to drink of that water if you will of everlasting life and so we discussed how even in the book of Revelation, that the spirit and the bride say come. There is the beckoning of the spirit and the spirit that's in the bride that's calling out and saying come. We also reviewed, I'm trying to review just a little bit to get our feet back in the water. We also reviewed that scripture of Acts 1 and 8 that after we had received the Holy Ghost that we shall receive power and that ye shall be witnesses Unto me, the Bible says, which was vitally important. I think oftentimes uh, we misquote that to a certain degree and say that we'll be witnesses unto them. But he said, you'll be witnesses unto me. We learned that the word witness there meant one who is mindful or heedful, that we would be mindful or heedful unto the Lord. And when we looked at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost, the, 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 the circles just got wider and wider from Jerusalem to other places and, and, and other, to as many as, as the Lord our God, as far as he would even call, meaning that us as vessels, as being ambassadors and representatives of Christ, that we need to be witnesses unto him or mindful of him so that wherever we are, that if it is a co-worker or if it is someone that, uh, a cashier that we often go to and we go to the store, that if the spirit would prompt us, that that river of living water could issue forth out of us and quench a thirsty soul wherever we are, even outside of the four walls, if you will, of the assembly. Because I would dare to say that our, our witness in our ambassador row serves for beyond here. Uh, because an ambassador doesn't know well if he stays in America. He has to go to somewhere that's foreign to him in order to serve in the capacity of an ambassador. And so it's great to be who we are, but we need to take that outside of here and be ambassadors for the Lord. So this is still yet just a little bit of the review of last week. And so Christ, if another little review and then we'll continue on. Something else that we reviewed or that I'm reviewing from last week is this, is that there were some Greeks that came to uh, Philip and their question was this. They came for the feast. They said, Philip, sir, we would see Jesus. That's what they said. Philip found Andrew. Andrew and Philip went to the Lord and said, Lord, there's some people here that would see you. And his response to that request was this. The son of man 
needs to be glorified. And he says, if I be lifted up from the earth, signifying what death he would die, I will draw all men unto me. No doubt he was referring to his death of the cross. And in encompassing that would be his burial and his resurrection. That would be a means by which he was glorified. And he said, the answer for people that's hungering for me is if I get glorified. And so with that being the case, though, now that death, burial, and resurrection is over, we still then need to proclaim, though, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's one thing that happened once for the life of Christ will not happen again. But we need to proclaim it through our preaching, and we need to proclaim it through our teaching as well. But there is another way that we can glorify the Lord. Because Christ in his ministry oftentimes spoke of himself being the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I shine in the darkness, the darkness comprehended it not. I am the light of the world. But before Christ ever left, he was over already massaging the minds of his disciples and he told them, ye are lights of the world. A city that's set on a hill that shall not be hid. What are you doing to us, Lord? Because Christ had said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He says, as long as I exist in this world, I am the light of the world. But the moment that I leave, I'm already massaging, I'm already putting in, in, in the, 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 the batter's box, so to speak, the disciples, and I'm telling them, ye are the light of the world. Because whenever I ascend into heaven, I need somebody to stand into that place now and be the light of the world, and that's us, that's you, that's me, that's the disciples. He says, now you are the lights of the world. And what did he tell them? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. He told the Greeks the response to their hunger and longing. He said to his disciples, I got to be glorified. Speaking of his death. Well, how do we still glorify him if we can't kill him again, if I can say it like that? Through this very way, being the lights of the world. And if they see our good works, they will then glorify and he'll do a drawing of men and women's hearts still yet in the world today. He says that they may see your good works. And what that tells me, sometimes they may and sometimes they may not. But if you don't go forth bearing the light, they'll never for sure see. The times that they don't see is not the times in that we throw in the towel and say, well, we're just quitting on this. No, 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 no. You know, there's a great possibility you sow something in the ground and nothing comes up. There's also the possibility you sow something in the ground and it all comes up. Amen. And so you just are diligent about sowing, amen, and leave the results unto the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so there are, no, there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees concerning these results. But again, they are better than if we never get involved. And so this is what I'm talking about. Thus winning those souls. We need to be involved. We are being given the ministry and the word of reconciliation for our day. So don't be disappointed when the times it doesn't happen. Because if you keep at it long enough, it'll happen for you. Someone will answer that response to come to church. Uh-huh. That invitation. Amen. You say, well, I only got one out of 10 times. Hey, that's 10%. Amen. Keep asking. Just to show that you're not by yourself, in Acts 28 and verse 23, and now we're moving on this tonight, and I've quit the review. But moving on, Acts 28 and verse 23, the Bible says, when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him. This is speaking of the apostle Paul into his lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom 
of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. So, so here's the apostle. He, he's incarcerated, mind you, but he's persuading people concerning Jesus out of the Old Testament, out of the law, out of the prophets, morning till evening. He's investing, everybody say a lot of time. A lot of time he's talking about this Jesus and describe it to them. But then look at verse 24. And the Bible says, and some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. I use that scripture because I want you to understand that you are not alone. That if the apostle Paul persuaded and attempted to persuade people about Jesus from the law and the prophets from morning unto evening and his results that he got were some believed and some believed not, then who am I to think any better or worse about the results that I get? Brother Mike, the apostle Paul, the one that's, you know, two-thirds of New Testament scripture ascribed to him for his writing, you know. And here he, even after he's got done preaching all day, there's some that believe and some that do not. So, so be comforted tonight by that. Uh, that that that's not that's not a disappointment. That's that's that is a a for for sure. That is a a, a, a guarantee that we might just have some of the very same results that the apostle Paul had. And in my estimation, he was a far better man than I was. Uh, the Bible says in Acts seventeen and verse thirty one, it says because he hath appointed a day, into which he will judge the world in righteousness, <clears throat> by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance to all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, this is Paul again speaking, some mocked. He said, another said, we will hear thee again of this matter. And so Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. And then it mentioned some of their names. So here's again, Paul's preaching. He's proclaiming Jesus. That's what we need to do. That's what we're taught to do. He's talking about the resurrection from the dead. And here are the apostle Paul, the great man of God's results. Some mocked. Some said, I'll hear you again. They're not quite convinced. I'll hear you again. And some believed and claimed to him. So again, I want to encourage you tonight in your endeavors for even just getting people to the house of God. Here's the great apostle Paul. Some's mocking him. Some, some are saying at another time. And some are cleaving unto him and believing upon what he had to say. And so again, who, who are we? Yeah, I understand in scripture after both of those occurrences, he didn't diminish in his preaching. He didn't diminish in his witness. He didn't diminish in his teaching. But notably, he said, even the Corinthian scripture, he said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. He wasn't discouraged because of the ones that didn't, but he was encouraged by the ones that did, that did believe, that did cleave. And those that are on the balance, man, there's still hope for those. Because they're just saying, I'm not quite convinced again. I'll hear you again on this, man. Amen. So, so, don't, be, so don't be frustrated. Amen. Don't, don't get frustrated, I should say. Try to steer away from that and count it all joy. Amen. Whenever those things go in the direction you hope for, when you sow and you do see a harvest. The Bible says in Psalms 126, Psalms 126, if you'll turn there in verse 5. The psalmist David states this, and I believe we can learn something from the patron here. And he's speaking in natural terms, again, of sowing seed and reaping seed. We've already seen that before in this 
soul winning, if you will, type of aspect. But he said in verse 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And then he breaks down that phrase of verse 5 a little bit more, gives us some of the details in between. And he says, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There are four things there that I want you to see in verse number six. David says, number one, they got to go. Number two, they got to weep or they have to have the burden of the seed that they have in their hand. They got to weep. Number three, they got to go with the seed. And number four, whenever there is a result or a product from the seed, they got to rejoice with the product in their hands. So number one, go, but number two, weep. Have a burden for the seed. That seed being literally even in New Testament scripture, the word. Whenever you look in the Old Testament prophet writing of Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 15 onward, you see several chapters start out with this type of wording and this type of phrase pops up from chapter 15 onward. You'll see chapters start out that says, the burden of Moab. You read about the burden of Damascus or the burden of Egypt or the burden of the desert of the sea or the burden of Duma, the burden of Arabia or the burden of the Valley of Vision. The bur- this is in Isaiah constantly. The burden of Tyre. And what happens in each of those episodes, in each instance, following that statement, the burden of whatever city or whatever place, after that is a word or a message that concerns that place. A message or a word that concerns whatever that it was a burden of. It was, if it was a burden of Egypt, then there came a word or a message after that that was directed to or for Egypt. Meaning this, that the burden usually was tied to a word. The burden was usually tied to a message. As a matter of fact, the prophet Jeremiah bears this out as well, and you can read for yourself, but in Jeremiah 23, verses 33 through 40, the Bible speaks that this burden of the Lord terminology is under discussion. And people would say that, that say the burden of the Lord, and then they would ask, what has the Lord answered? They would say the burden of the Lord. Then they would later say, well, what has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? And what they were alluding to was the idea that the burden of the Lord is always accompanied by a word. It's always accompanied by a message. And with that being understood, then we understand where the seed part comes in. Because not only should we have a burden, a burden for the seed that we're carrying, but the seed in and of itself, might I say, I believe is the word. The Bible says in Luke 8 and verse number 11, whenever it's speaking of the parable of the sower and the seed that he sowed upon other grounds, so on and so forth, whenever there comes the interpretation of the parable, the Bible says that the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. As a matter of fact, Peter even alluded to the fact that the seed is the word. He said in 1 Peter 1, 23, it says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, 
which liveth and abideth forever. So there is ties in scripture that the seed is the word and the word is the seed. And so David is telling them, maybe in a very natural sense about sowing, but it has spiritual application. He says, first, you need to go. Secondly, you need to have a burden, be weeping with a burden for the seed that you're carrying or the word that you're carrying. All right? Amen? And he says, after you've done that, you need to rejoice over any harvest that you get. When you come bearing the sheaves, you need to rejoice over the harvest. Amen. Uh, He spoke to the disciples. They came back from great exploits one time, going about and preaching and teaching. And they came back and they came talking to the Lord. And they were saying, Lord, we cast out devils in your name and did all these things. And the Lord's admonition to them was this. He said, hey, don't rejoice because the devils are subject to you, but rejoice because your names, could I say anybody's names, are written in heaven. That's the reason for rejoice. That someone has been born again of the water and the spirit, that should be something that would prompt rejoicing in us. And do we not even find in the parables of Luke 15 that whenever the sheep was lost and the shepherd goes and finds it and is rejoined with the lost sheep, the Bible says he rejoiced over the sheep that he had found that was lost. Does it not tell us the lady who had 10 coins and had lost one of them, that whenever she had swept all the house and she finally found that coin, that piece that was lost, that she rejoiced over finding the lost coin that was found? And the Bible tells us in each of those episodes that there was rejoicing even at the repentance, if you will. It's spoken both of those episodes. We rejoiced at the repentance of the lost sheep and the lost coin. So that, listen, our rejoicing, our rejoicing about what we've sown in the ground and got a product from doesn't just happen when they're filled with the Holy Ghost, but we need to rejoice at repentance. We need to rejoice at baptism. We need to rejoice at the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We need to rejoice at their act of faith of coming to the altar the first time. Honey, that seed you put in the ground, that's that you went for it and did the water and the planting. God gave the increase. That's reason to rejoice. Because I think sometimes we minimize the fact of repentance. And it's just not really been much of anything unless they've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry. It's very important for repentance because their baptism really won't do much for them if they haven't had repentance. So it's very important. Christ even said, repent, else you perish. So it's very important. It's reason to rejoice over. It's reason to rejoice. And so we see this pattern that David leads us to in Psalms 126, 5 and 6. We see this pattern of going and weeping and seed and rejoicing. We see this pattern in some of even the New Testament scriptures of so winning or the ministry of reconciliation taking place, the word of reconciliation taking place. If you turn with me to Acts chapter number 8, verse number 26, I want to read a little scripture here. Might make remarks as they go on. If not, I'll make them at the end. Nevertheless, if you allow me to read a few verses of scripture here, the Bible says, 26. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Philip has just been a part of the great Samaritan revival, but he's feeling the Spirit of the Lord telling him to go, arise and go. And he arose and went. Okay, 
I hope I can get through everything to get to do tonight because I'm going to do some positive. If you'll remember, the witness, what? One who is mindful. That's what it means. The word witness in Acts 1 and 8, one who is mindful, one that is heeding. Here's Philip in the middle of a full-blown revival. Peter and John come, they're laying hands on people to receive the Holy Ghost. But in the middle of the great things that are already happening, Philip is a witness. He's mindful of the Spirit of the Lord. In so much that the angel of the Lord says, I want you to leave this because I got somebody else for you to reach out to. And the Bible says that the angel said, arise. Here we are, tying back the Psalms, and go. And the Bible says, Philip, being heeding and so sensitive that he arose in verse 27 and went. Uh-huh. Directed by the Spirit. The Bible says he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia, Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and setting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, look, Philip is since he's heeding enough, God can speak to him and go upon the prompting of the spirit. And the spirit said unto Philip, here we are again, go near and join thyself to his chariot. So we're in Samaria. He said, go and arise. Philip went up, got up and went. And then as he's even getting closer to this man, the spirit says, go on, get a little closer, a little nearer, join yourself unto him. And he did. And the Bible says, and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, Philip had something going on here. He seen that he was reading evidently the scriptures and Philip with the burden of the Lord, the burden of the word. He says, do you understand? Philip was so burdened that that word would make sense and that it would find a lodging place in the heart of eunuch. He's burdened with the word because he wants to make sure that this man is understanding what he is reading. And so the man beckons him to come up and sit with him. In verse 32, the Bible says, the place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to slaughter like a lamb dumb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speak of the prophet this, of himself or some other man. And Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Yeah. Philip has went because he wants to see if this man understands. I believe he had the burden of the word. And now he is planting the seed. He is preaching Jesus to this man. And as they go on their way, this, this, this eunuch sees that there is water. He asks, what hindereth me to be baptized? Amen. Philip said, if you believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God, no problem. They go down into the water. He baptizes that man. What are you saying? Without it being said, I believe there is rejoicing. Amen. For the disciple Philip. Amen. And what God just did in that little interaction because he went and because he had the burden and because he used the seed, he went away rejoicing in the scripture. I believe that. In Acts chapter number nine, we read another story very similar to this one, just the very next chapter. The Bible states in chapter nine and verse number 10 that there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. To him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. Now this is Ananias. What all do you know about Ananias? 
Not much, do you? You know why? Because this is really the only place that we ever see Ananias ever spoken of. His description is quite vague. He's just called a certain disciple. Certain disciple. We don't know about his mom. Don't know about his dad. Don't know what, what, what type of person, evidently, that he was. You know, what his occupation was. He's just a certain disciple. We don't know much about him. But we do know that he was a witness. And he was mindful and heeding to the spirit of the Lord. Because God could talk to him through a vision about somebody that needs saved. And he was sensitive enough to the vision that whenever he spoke to him, he told him that, hey, there is this man, verse 11, look at it. And the Lord said to him, arise, here we go again, arise and go. And to the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he has seen in the vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Now look at this. Now Ananias must have been a pretty trustworthy person. A pretty trustworthy person because God chose him to give him the vision of the man who would be called Saul. The man who is Saul, by the way, who would be called Paul, this man Saul, who God eventually tells Ananias, hey, this guy Saul, he is going to be a chosen vessel for me. He's going to be a preacher to the Gentiles. He's even going to preach before kings. Now, you don't want to give that, that, that job to go to the man that's going to become all that just to some Johnny come lately. You want to give that to somebody you can trust that you got confidence in that when you say go, they'll go. Ananias was that type of man. He was trustworthy that God knew that he would see to it that that business was taken care of. And the Bible says in verse 13, Ananias has this little thing. He knows about this man, Saul. Not too many don't. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said to him, go. Here we go again. Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17, and Ananias went his way and entered into his house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee by the way, as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he, that is Saul, received sight forthwith arose and was baptized. And Ananias is a witness. He's mindful. He's one that is mindful unto the Lord. One that is mindful and heeding unto the Lord. They're not at the synagogue service when this happens. From what I can gather, at least, Ananias was probably in his own home. But he was sensitive. That he got a vision from God and a name from God. Who this was. This was Saul. And notice what even Ananias' response is. Behold, here, or I am here, Lord. I'm at your disposal. What you want me to do, if this is what you want me to do, then that's what I'll do. The Lord says, arise and go. Go thy way. He told him again in verse 15. And Ananias does do he, he does exactly what the Lord required. What I'm saying is this, folks. This is not just good for Acts chapter number 9. We need some modern day Ananiases today. And the reason why is because God sent him to someone. And the result of all that is that Saul received his sight. But was also baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost in one to the Lord. Because of a man that was mindful unto the Lord. And notice. I don't know if you realize that this happens in real life, but God is working in this story on both ends of this happening. Yes, he is. 
Saul knew Ananias' name because he had had a vision. Ananias knew Saul's name because he had had a vision. God told Ananias, there's one Saul. God told Saul, there's one Ananias that I'm going to send to you. Listen to me. Don't miss this. If you want to miss something, miss something else. But don't miss this. Saul then, by virtue of his vision, was expecting an Ananias to show up at his house. And the question I have for us tonight, how many souls are depending on us? Saul had a real name attached to was coming for him. It was going to be Ananias. God said, I'm sending him. I wonder, I, 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 it, I don't believe that it's not beyond possible that God could put our name upon some soul that is sick in this world and say, I'm going to have this person enter your life and with all the trouble, heartache, and everything you're going to, you're, they're going to point you toward a direction and a way that can somehow cure all of that. But I wonder how many souls are waiting on us. How many Ananias are not coming to the door? Because you got to be mindful. You got to be heeding to his spirit. You said, you know, many years ago, it might have been even before I started pastoring. I spoke about how God, that we need to start praying for some literal specific names. That God would relay some specific names upon our hearts. I'm not talking about people you necessarily have to know. But names, a first and a last, you might not know them from Adam, so to speak. But he could lay a name on your heart and you could pray over that name. And you could see the fruition of that come through the church house doors. And God had already dealt with you about them before they ever got here. Or you ever intersected their path. You say, well, that's a bunch of, that's kind of way out there. It's Bible. It's Bible. It happened. It has happened. How many souls are depending upon us? If you skip right on over to the next chapter, Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter number 10, if I can just read like verse number 19 here, just a few verses out of this story here. Here's another one of these go and be burdened and have a seed and rejoice type of scenarios. The Bible says in verse number 19, while Peter thought on the vision, he had a vision now, he was praying, he had a vision, blanket came down with unclean beasts that were upon it, the Lord told him, uh, told him just to go on and, and, and partake thereof. And he said, I don't think so, Lord. I've never, nothing, any, anything unclean and common's ever touched me. But the Lord did it three times. He said, don't doubt what I'm telling you. But the Bible says, while Peter thought on the vision that he just had, that the Spirit, everybody say the Spirit. We're going to have the Spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek you. He's being mindful here. He's being mindful unto the Lord. Because he's sensitive to the spirit. Being mindful. He's a witness. Mindful to the Lord. Heeding unto the Lord. He says three men seek you, Peter. Now here's the interesting thing. Those three men were sent by one man by the name of Cornelius. Who's of the Italian band. He's a Gentile. He sent three men after Peter. It's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. Whenever you begin to think that there's three men. Actually four. There's four men that are seeking Peter. And the words that he has to say. does something to me when I think that there could be people in our society right now within the city of Mount Carmel that's seeking out one of you one of us because of some word that you have the Bible says then that spirit spoke to him in verse 20 arise therefore and get thee down and go with them here we are there's got to be the go 
Go with it. Doubting nothing, for I have sent, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause whereof ye are come? Verse 22, and they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that fear of God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Amazing. God spoke to a man that didn't have the totality of truth and said, go to Peter because I can trust Peter. Go to Peter and ask him to come to your house. And the reason why you're going to have him come is because he doesn't bear an empty bag on his side. He has some seed. Woo! says he has some seed. He has the burden of the seed. He has the burden of the word. So you go call for him so that you can hear the words of him. And that burden, that burden of the seed or the burden of the word caused Peter to go against what his normal judgment would have been because these are Gentiles. Normally, no, I'm not going with them, but he had already had a vision from the Lord. What I call clean, call not common or unclean. And so Peter goes on because he had the burden of the seed, the burden of the word, and he took this gospel even to all, even to the Italian band, the Gentile race. And look, there's something I want you to notice in, in, in verse number 24. Verse number 24, the Bible says, and the morrow after they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them. That's important too. That's important too. God says, I got somebody out there that can help you. Cornelius says, I'll seek some men to find him, but I'm going to spend time and wait until he gets here. How, how long are they going to have to wait? How long are they going to have to wait? But notice verse 24. The Bible says, Cornelius waited for them, and look what Cornelius had done. Had called together his kinsmen and his near friends. One reminder tonight. The reminder of the impact of what one soul won to the Lord can do. Because that one soul has relatives and has friends. Mm -hmm. Just give me a good old nod and I'll accept it. They have relatives and they have friends. So here again in the story of Cornelius in, in Acts 10, Cornelius knew Peter's name by a vision. Uh-huh. In prayer, he had a vision and he was told Peter's name. In verse 24, again, Cornelius sent for Peter and he waited for Peter. In verse number 20, we read that God let Peter know not to doubt because he had them sent to Peter particularly. He trusted Peter. There's something I want you to notice from the story of Acts chapter number 9 and the story of Acts chapter number 10. Something I want you to know about both of these souls, Saul and Cornelius. Both of them were in a position of prayer. Are you listening to me? Saul and Cornelius were both in positions of prayer when God revealed to them that someone, there's someone that can help you. What, what's that prayer mean? There was already a hunger stirring inside of Cornelius. There's already a hunger stirring inside of Saul. But in their prayer, while they were praying, God showed them there's somebody that can help you. I know this seems bizarre. And you say, you're talking about little me, not me. I'm just so-and-so, and I just attend the church. But let me tell you something today, folks. There's some of you that are the answer to some soul's prayer. 
You hear me again? There are some of you. I'm not talking about pastor. I'm saying some of you, whether you've been in church one year or whether you've been in for 20 years, there's some of you that are the answer to some soul's prayer because they're hungry for God, they're looking for God, and God wants to place you on that soul's heart. You're talking, well, I see them every day. You're telling me that they can somehow help in my situation? Yeah, you've been in church for 20 years. You might have the right word to say at the right time that can direct them to the right place called Calvary and to the right place of church or the right place. Yes, you. Stop dumbing down your position in the Lord. Uh Uh-huh. We have been given the word and the ministry. We, not the disciples alone. No, the church. He was speaking to the church at Corinth who had all kinds of problems. We have been given the word and the ministry of reconciliation. We are the answer to some soul's prayer today with great purpose because we do have that word and we do have that ministry. Of reconciliation. Just go a little longer, and I won't hold you much, much longer. Next chapter number two, the great day of Pentecost, the birth of the early church in the first century. Verses 14 through 36. Really, it is the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost. I know many people want to talk about Acts 2:38. That was the message of Peter. In reality, what Acts 2:38 was was an answer to a question. His preaching took place from 14 to 36 before 38 ever came. He was preaching. What 38 was was a response to a question. And so Peter is preaching verses 14 through 36 and as he is preaching the word and proclaiming the word, much of the subject matter between verses 14 through 36, he brings up the gospel. He brings up the crucified Lord. He brings up that barrel. He brings up the concept of that resurrected Christ, that Christ, he was raised up. He was preaching the word. Now, After the preaching of the word comes the question in verse 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here's what I want to point out. The preaching, the proclamation of the word, the death, burial, and resurrection, which glorifies the Lord, did something. The word provoked the question. Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter was able to answer that. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of your sins. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What I'm saying is, whether it's in our churches, outside of our churches, we need to bear the precious seed of the word. We need to go with the burden of it, and we need to bear it. Because even in the book of Acts, the early church came to the question because the word provoked the question. And if you'll bear the word, and you're talking about you need to carry around the 15-pound family Bible everywhere, you know what? You just go and try that out, okay? No. But you need to bear the word. And I hope that we've hit it in our heart. Let me implore you. If you've not started hiding God's word in your heart, hide it there. Because I know that's been said for ages. We know one of these days we probably won't have Bibles. Let me tell you, at the rapid pace that things are falling off the cart right now. You better know that you know that you know because if not, you'll be snafued by some of the talk of those who are holy fathers and religious leaders that 
have just recently said that atheists, that you don't have to believe in a God to go to heaven. If you don't know no word, you'll be snafu'd by that strong line. Know the word. The Bible says this, and I'll close in 1 Peter 3, 15. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer. Always answer to where? To every man. Always every. Always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. You need to be carrying a word. You need to be carrying some precious. You need to be carrying a word in your heart. And if you were asked concerning that hope, that life within you, you need to be able to give answer. Amen. If nothing else, you need to have a personal testimony. Each of you have it. If you've been born again in water and spirit, you have a personal testimony. But beyond that, there's nothing wrong with knowing some doctrines of this book. Nothing wrong with being able to explain the death, burial, and resurrection, how that relates to salvation. Nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, we should do that. As a matter of fact, if you're of any age in Christ, you need to be getting that in here. Mind and heart. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Uh, it, It needs to be in there. We need to be able to thus winning those souls. We've been given a word and a ministry, if you'll stand with me. A reconciliation. Amen. We do it, yes, by loving them as God loves. We do it, yes, by showing compassion. But we also do it as prescribed there in Psalms. We got to go. Everybody say go. You got to go. You got to be burdened. You got to have the seed. And by all means, whenever there is a product from all that, rejoice. Rejoice. Whether it be few or whether it be many. Whether it be one or a child or whether it be ten. Fail not to rejoice. We bow our heads in this place. God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.